Look, folks, I know I said we were done talking about the transfer portal, but then the Zags went ahead and contacted the best graduate transfer guard on the market in Rutgers, Paul Mulcahy. So let's discuss what his addition might mean for Mark Few's team right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag Athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Well, Paul Mulcahy is an extremely intriguing potential addition for the Zags, so we're going to discuss who he is, what programs have showed interest in him already, how he might fit in this program before we're going to close out the show discussing Gonzaga's superstar track and field athlete, James Mora, as he put a bow on what was a storied, legendary, iconic career in a Gonzaga uniform. First, though, we want to talk Paul Mulcahy. Mulcahy is a six foot six guard wing out of Bayonne, New Jersey. Recently entered the transfer portal, of course, as a reminder for those of you players can enter the transfer portal after May 11th if they are graduate transfers. So there is not undergrads still entering the portal that closed on May 11th, exactly a month from when I am recording this podcast. But those graduate transfers can still pop in and out of the portal uh, if they would like to. Mulcahy is the most recent example of a high profile player who is still suddenly becoming available. This offseason is not over, uh, potentially over for Gonzaga. We talked about that last week, but certainly other programs are still out there making big additions. Mulcahy is a a really, really talented player, and he's a pure point guard, and that's really what I want to talk about mostly here in the first and second segments of this show is how the heck that's going to work on a team that already has two point guards. Key difference, of course, with Mulcahy is six foot six. Like we said, he's a grad transfer, spent all the last four seasons at Rutgers, has not been a guy who's moved around in his career up until this point, and he's been a pretty consistent player for this team really for the last uh, couple of seasons. Uh, started basically all the last two seasons, was a bench player before that. Career averages of 6.8 points and 3.8 assists, which isn't really going to jump off the page. That's about 28 minutes per game. Uh, And really the scoring is not something that's going to stand out a lot much. He's never been a particularly elite scorer. This last season, 30 games for Mulcahy, 28 starts, played about 33 minutes per game. So he was a key part of what the Scarlet Knights did last year at Rutgers. Uh, In those, again, 32 and a half minutes per game, he averaged just 8.3 points, but he did average 4.9 assists, 3.6 rebounds, and 1.5 steals per game while shooting 43% on two-pointers, 37% from deep. That is only on about 1.8 attempts per game. Again, he's not a super high-level scorer. He's not necessarily looking to go out there and score the basketball. This Rutgers team had Cam Spencer, who has transferred to UConn. Spencer was a high-level scorer for this team. He was also in that guard room, so it was really just Mulcahy is the guy getting the ball out, distributing the basketball. Spencer's the guy putting the ball in the hoop. That was kind of the general gist for the last couple of years at Rutgers. But Mulcahy, uh, 72% from the free throw line as well. And in his last two years, we've seen him average about nine points per game. I think he was exactly nine points as a junior, 8.3 points last year. He averaged over five assists as a junior as well. 
Uh, he's been a, a really, really good distributor facilitator for this team. Had some really fantastic individual performances that I wanted to shout out last season as well. He had a double-double, 11 points and 13 assists. That was against Iowa on the road. So go out on the road and drop 13 dimes against a solid Hawkeyes program. He also had 16 points, eight rebounds, six assists, and four steals in a game against Purdue, the number one team in the country, the number one team in the Big Ten. Mulcahy went out and did a little bit of everything in that contest against the Boilermakers. Really fantastic playmaker, elite distributor. Again, not a super high-level score, but does a lot of things that that is really going to catch the attention of a lot of coaching staffs. And guess what? It has. So far, Paul Mulcahy has reached, received interest, known interest from nine different programs. This is from a tweet from Adam Zagoria, who runs Zag's blog. This is a tweet from him on Twitter showing the nine programs that are interested or excuse me, that have reached out to Paul Mulcahy. Gonzaga is on that list. The other eight programs, Kentucky, Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, Michigan, Washington, Xavier and Pitt. That's a pretty darn good list of programs. I want to go through each of them a little bit individually, just kind of talk about where they're at, uh, who we think might stand out here, and then we're going to go into a lot more about what this would mean for Gonzaga, what they might envision for his role, what his role probably would be, what it means for other players on the team. Kentucky and Michigan are the two teams that stand out to me because they really need help. They really need experience. They need guards. They need that kind of uh, injection into their program that Mulcahy would provide. Kentucky lost Severe Wheeler. He hit the transfer portal. He actually ended up at Washington, which we'll talk about a little bit later. They also lost Cason Wallace and Chris Livingston, their two freshmen from last year. They lost C.J. Frederick in the transfer portal. He went to Cincinnati. They lost Antonio. Well, we don't know on Antonio Reeves. I shouldn't get too far ahead of myself. Antonio Reeves has removed his name from the NBA draft process, but he is still eligible to enter the transfer portal as a graduate student. Right now, Kentucky, if they don't have Reeves, they have seven players on their roster. Five of them are incoming freshmen. Two of them are sophomores who did not play much last year. Calipari needs depth, needs talent, needs experience, needs a guard. Paul McKay, he checks every single one of those boxes. I wouldn't be surprised if they make a huge push to try to land him, especially after missing out on Arthur Kaluma, the Creighton transfer who has committed to Kansas State. Let's start with Kansas State next. They just landed Kaluma. I'm not sure they need much more. They landed Tyler Perry out of North Texas. This is a program that seems like they're in good shape under Jerome Tang. I would be a little surprised if they were able to land Mulcahy in this point. Michigan is the other team I'm most worried about. Kentucky has a very obvious need. So does Michigan because they didn't land Caleb Love. Caleb Love, of course, committed to Michigan early in the transfer portal process, spent about a month with the expectation by everybody that he is going to play for the Wolverines next year. Then the admissions department struck again, just like they did with Terrence Shannon the year before, where they didn't admit Terrence Shannon. He ended up going to Illinois. They don't admit Caleb Love. He ends up going to Arizona to play for Tommy Lloyd. And now Michigan is stuck without any of their guards from last year and without the guy they expected to replace him in Caleb Love. They could really use a player like Paul Mulcahy. Perhaps their graduate admissions department is a little bit less stingy, and he could find his way playing in Ann Arbor next season for the Wolverines. Kansas is always a threat because they're Kansas, because they land high-profile players, because Bill Self is an outstanding recruiter. Kansas has one of the best pure point guards in the entire country in Dewan Harris on their roster already. Could they use a, a, a secondary ball handler? Could they use a creator like Mulcahy? Of course, but there's not as obvious of a need there. And then a lot of the rest of the programs here kind of fit in that same boat of like, 
Could they use him? Sure. And this includes Gonzaga, mind you. Could they use him? Yes. Do they have an obvious need? Not as much as Kansas or Michigan. West Virginia already added, added Kerr Kreisa, of course, from Arizona. They also added Raekwon Battle from Montana State, who also started his career at Washington. Two really good guard additions for them. Uh, again, could they have room for Mulcahy? Of course, but they already kind of have some guys projected to play the one and the two for their Bob Huggins' team next season. Washington added Severe Wheeler, like we talked about, a very, very good distributor, a very good passer, not much of a score. Actually, some similarities between him and Mulcahy, with the key difference being that Mulcahy is pretty close to a foot taller than Severe Wheeler, who I think is like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, Mulcahy comes in at 6'6". Six, six. UW also added Anthony Holland out of Fresno State, but they lost major- majority of their guard play from last year. P.J. Fuller's in the portal. Noah Williams is in the portal. Uh, Keon Menafield has transferred to Arkansas out of the portal as well, so they could use some help there. Xavier lost Sule Boom, who, of course, is out of eligibility after a very, very extensive, talented, successful college basketball career that started at San Francisco. Uh, so Boom's out of eligibility, but they did add Davion McKnight from Western Kentucky, one of the top transfers available at the mid-major level. They also added Quincy Oliveri from Rice who averaged 18 points per game last year. So not sure Sean Miller necessarily needs another guard, although Mulcahy's style definitely fits a Sean Miller offense, and I think he would be a nice fit at Xavier. And then there's Pitt. Pitt is the last school on this list. Uh, They added Ishmael Leggett from Rhode Island, very talented scoring guard there. Don't want to count them out. They have the potential ability to land Mulcahy here without a super, super, Uh, there's not necessarily a super obvious fit at Pitt, but I think it could be a school that works out for him. And then there's Gonzaga. And that's what I want to talk about in the second segment. What might Gonzaga's rotation look like if Mulcahy is in the picture? Where would he start? What are the options? Who might lose playing time? All that stuff coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That is $2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Maybe you like what you're seeing from Denver. You want to bet them to take home the trophy. I don't blame you for that. Maybe you Zag fans want to place a future bet on our guy Chet Holmgren to win Rookie of the Year next year. I love betting with FanDuel because they have great promotions literally every single day. The app is safe. It is secure. It is super easy to use, and you can get paid instantly. There is no better place to bet all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Folks, I want to thank all of you for making Locked On Zags your first listen or your first watch of the day. we got more fantastic stuff coming your way later this week, setting up some potential interviews that should be a lot of fun with some people that you guys are going to really be excited to hear from. I promise you that. We're going to continue to look at the transfer portal if and when it crops up. We're going to continue to look at NBA draft stuff with Julian Strother and Drew Timmy, what their aspirations are, what teams they're working out with, where they might end up going in the NBA draft, all that good stuff coming your way here in what should be a very fun month of June here on the Locked on Zags podcast. But for now, we're going to continue our conversation about Paul Mulcahy. Mulcahy, a guy who's averaged about five assists in each of the last two seasons, doesn't score the ball particularly well, uh, doesn't take a lot of shots, is a good three-point shooter when he's shooting them, but is just he's more of a facilitator than he is a scorer. And I'm curious what that looks like at Gonzaga, because we talked about the needs for Gonzaga. 
And while we kind of came to the conclusion last week that they may not use either of their final two scholarships on a transfer, we thought about if they did and they were going to go with a guard because they have a pretty a pretty well put together front court. Graham E.K., Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, they don't usually play a fourth big. Those three guys are all going to play. So we kind of said, well, maybe it would be a guard addition and maybe a guy who kind of replaces Malachi Smith. We talked a lot about Zion Poland from UC Riverside potentially being that guy. He has, of course, transferred to Florida and is out of the picture for the Zags. But Mulcahy fits as well because he is a bigger guard. Again, six foot six would be the biggest guard on the team, depending on where you classify steel venters. He's about the same size as Dusty Stromer, although he is bigger. Uh, and he's more of a point guard. And I think the point guard aspect is interesting. I think Paul Mulcahy would compete to start alongside Ryan Nembhard. Frankly, what I think is that two out of the three of the following players will start for Gonzaga next year if they were to land Paul Mulcahy. That would be Nolan Hickman, Steel Venters, and Paul Mulcahy. Two guys start, one guy sits. That's the way that I see it. I don't think that Steel Venters is the player who sits in this situation because that would be Gonzaga literally starting three point guards, Ryan Nembhard, Nolan Hickman, and Paul Mulcahy. Hard for me to imagine that all three of those guys sit. You want one of them to be your backup point guard, and you want a guy who's going to come off the bench. In my mind, I could see it being Mulcahy. I could see a situation where Nembhard and Hickman and Venters all start, and then you have your your big guys, probably EK and Watson. Maybe Ben Gregg steals a starting spot from EK in that situation. Anton Watson is for sure starting. Uh, but I think that that's probably what it looks like. Mulcahy coming off the bench. Uh, I think he would compete to be the second consecutive Gonzaga player transfer to win WCC sixth man of the year. I could see him filling that role. Uh, and for Gonzaga, it just gives them another ball handler. Somebody else who can run the offense, who can get them into their sets. Uh, is he the preferred option? Certainly not over Ryan Nemhard. Ryan Nemhard is one of the best point guards in college basketball. Is he preferred over Nolan Hickman? I know some of you are going to say yes. He's less familiar with the offense. I think that could be a bit more of a learning curve. I could see Gonzaga saying, hey, you're only here for one year. We don't want to spend all this time teaching you the ins and outs of this offense. We'll let Nolan be the backup point guard. You play more of an off-ball role. Does Mulcahy want that? That's the question. If not, he's probably not coming to Gonzaga. He's going to end up going somewhere else where he can be more of the primary ball handler. But could Gonzaga find a role for him that allows him to compete for a national championship, make the Sweet 16, Elite 8 potentially, uh, play a significant role? Sure. All of that is there for him. I'm not sure if it necessarily matches his skill set if he's playing more off the ball, being asked to be more of a spot-up shooter. That's not really his strength. He's a 37% three-point shooter last year, so he's not bad at it. But again, this is on less than two attempts per game. So there's some kind of intrigue here in terms of how this matchup might work, how this fit exactly would go. As a one-and-done player, it's not really a concern of slowing development for Dusty Stromer. I certainly think if the Zags were to add Paul Mulcahy, that the odds of Dusty Stromer being a rotation player for Gonzaga are pretty slim. But again, it's not like you're bringing in a guy who's going to be here for two, three, or four years. They're bringing in a guy for one year. Many freshmen have come to Gonzaga and not been rotation players in year one. Dominic Harris wasn't a rotation player in year one. Julian Strother was not a rotation player in year one. These guys develop a little bit more behind the scenes and step out into bigger roles in year two. And if the Zags feel like that's more the trajectory for Stromer, 
then adding a player like Mulcahy, who is a similar size and a somewhat similar skill set, might make more sense as kind of a developmental nod for Stromer here. Learn from this guy. Watch him. See how he acclimates himself to the floor. See what role he takes on. Envision yourself in that role in year two. I could totally see that. The big question for Gonzaga, though, is how would this work from a rotation standpoint? And again, the same question we had last week when we looked at Gonzaga's starting lineup and rotation. What does it mean for Jun Sok-yo? Because his role is critical for how Gonzaga operates for the rest of this offseason. And it's kind of the best indication that we might get from the staff about what they kind of what they envision for for Yo is kind of how they treat the rest of the offseason. Being interested in Paul Mulcahy, again, interest as in just they have contacted him. We do not know how serious it is. If they bring him in for a visit, that obviously means they're far more interested in bringing him in than it would if we just heard that there was a phone call, right? Big difference between those two things. For Gonzaga, I don't know exactly what they envision for Yo, and we talked about this last week. You everyday listeners kind of already heard this conversation. We'll go through it again with Mulcahy kind of potentially in the mix as well. But for Yo, he is either in the rotation and not a starter, a starter who plays 25 to 30 minutes per night, or he's completely not in the rotation. Those are more or less the three options for Yo. I'm not sure which one is going to be because we haven't really seen him yet. The only people who have seen him acclimate with Gonzaga and have seen him, you know, scrimmaging against other guys are players on the team and the coaching staff. They're not exactly giving us a whole bunch of information about that, nor do I blame them for not doing that. So he's still the big hinge. But I'm looking at this team right now. If they add Paul Mulcahy, in my mind, there are seven players who are guaranteed to be in the rotation. Anton Watson, Ben Gregg, Graham E.K., those three guys in the front court, four guys in the back court, Ryan Nempard, Nolan Hickman, Steele Venters, Paul Mulcahy. Every one of those players would be guaranteed to have a rotation spot in Mark Few's team next season, again, assuming Mulcahy commits to Gonzaga. That leaves pretty much one spot. Zags don't play nine. Sometimes they don't even play eight. But if they were to play eight, if you expect an eight-man rotation next year, that leaves one spot likely between either Yo or Stromer. Yes, Braden Huff is in the mix. Caden Perry is in the mix. Alex Tui is in the mix. I don't see any of those guys taking playing time over the aforementioned nine players, so I'm not sure that they would be rotation pieces for next season. If Yo is not a rotation player, if he is kind of freshman year Rui, for lack of a better example, kind of a guy who who plays garbage time minutes, who shows some intrigue, some ex- play college basketball at this level and he's not in the rotation then i see a lineup that looks something like this nemhard hickman venters watson ek as your starting lineup with paul mulcahy as your sixth man ben Gregg and dusty stromer round out that rotation this is one of the only ways that i think dusty stromer is a rotation player next year along with paul mulcahy that's with yo not being a guy who they expect to play more than garbage times minutes next season if yo is in the rotation i think you still see the same starting lineup And then you have Paul Mulcahy and Ben Gregg as your sixth and seventh, and then Yo as your eighth. Again, this is just with him as a rotation piece, not necessarily a big contributor. It pushes Stromer into more of a reserve role. Uh, And again, I'm mentioning this starting lineup as Nemhard and Hickman at the one and the two with Mulcahy coming off the bench. Uh, I think there's potentially some competition there. 
Mulcahy could compete to start at the two alongside Nembhard. Uh, Two-point guard lineup right there. Again, it's going to be a two-point guard lineup regardless. If they, if they bring in Paul Mulcahy, they're starting two-point guards and bringing one off the bench almost certainly. And then there's the final situation, the fun one. What if Yo is a guy who starts right away? He's 21. He's played at the FIBA level. He's played against very high-level competition. He's put up monstrous numbers. It is completely within the realm of possibility that Yo is a guy who plays 25, 28, 30 minutes per game next year. If that happens, that creates a really interesting dynamic for Gonzaga's guard rotation because Yo would probably start at the three. And if Yo starts at the three, what does that mean for Steel Venters? Does Venters slide down to the two? Does Venters come off the bench? Does Gonzaga still start a two-point guard lineup if their three is, is being taken up by a guy like Yo? I don't know. Those are the tough questions that you would have to answer. If Yo is a starter and a big-time contributor, I could see a lineup that looks like this. Ryan Nemhart at the one, Paul Mulcahy at the two, Yo at the three, Watson at the four, EK at the five. That would mean your three bench players are in no particular order, Steel Venters, Nolan Hickman, and Ben Gregg. That's a really good eight-man rotation. A really good eight-man rotation. If Yo is that guy, Yo is that type of player, and the Zags add Paul Mulcahy, wow. That team is really good. Again, this is me projecting Nemhard and Mulcahy start together with Nem with Hickman and Venters off the bench. Could be a lot of different combinations. Could do a lot of different things there. You could start Nemhard at the one. You could start Venters at the two, and you could have two point guards coming off the bench in Mulcahy and Hickman. You could, I mean, in theory, you could start Yo at the four and have Ek come off the bench. I'd be a little surprised if they did that. But could they run lineups with Watson at the five, Yo at the four, Venters at the three, and then two of the three point guards playing? Yeah, they totally could. That'd be a really, really fun lineup. Get out and transition and just wreak havoc on opposing teams. You wouldn't want to do it against, you know, Purdue or teams that have huge guys down on the front. But the Zags are going to struggle against those teams anyway because they just don't have a lot of depth uh, in the front court with size, I should say. They have plenty of depth in the front court, but most of the guys are 6'9", 6'10", at the most uh, and aren't super experienced guys. Caden Perry, Alex Tui. Uh, Braden Huff, you know, I, I'm not sure we see a huge role for any of those guys uh, this upcoming season. And I think the majority of the front court minutes are going to go to EK Watson and Greg, but Yo could definitely slide into some of those small ball four minutes as well. Paul Mulcahy, really interesting potential addition for the Zags. Uh, I'm not sure if the fit is perfect. I'm not sure what he's looking for exactly. If he wants to play more off the ball and compete for a national championship, then Gonzaga might be the great place for him to go. If he wants to be the primary number one point guard on a team, then Gonzaga is probably, I'm not sure he even picked up the phone if we're being honest, because they already have that guy in Ryan Nembhard. So interesting name to keep an eye on Paul Mulcahy, a player that I think could really uh, fit Gonzaga well, if he's willing to play the role that they have available, just not quite sure how the fit all shakes out, at least at this point. Well, we're going to close out today's show talking about James Mora, who perhaps the greatest Gonzaga athlete of all time. That is not hyperbole. That is not an exaggeration. He just wrapped up his storied career. We're going to talk more about that coming up right after this. All right, segment three here. Happy Monday, folks. Here in June, we're talking to James Mora, who just completed a storied collegiate career as a cross-country track and field athlete for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. He just finished 10th in the 5K with a time of 14 minutes, 11 seconds, 
which is just incredible. Tenth there, he was 23rd going into the last lap, and he had the fastest final lap of anybody in the entire event, moved from 23rd all the way to 10th, which will land him as an All-American in the 10K, or excuse me, in the 5K. This came 48 hours after he finished as an All-American in the 10K. So James Mora ran the 10K, finished with an All-American time, two days later ran the 5K, finished 10th. That is just kind of par for the course for what Mora has done throughout his really, really incredible career as a track and field cross-country athlete for Gonzaga. Uh, This is the fact that really stood out to me in the article written uh, on Gonzaga's website. He simply said Mora was an All-American in every single event he qualified for. Every single time James Mora qualified to be an All-American at an event, he did it. In 2021, he was an All-American in the 5K and an All-American second teamer in the 10K. In 2022, he was a second teamer in the 10K. And then this year in 2023, he finished fourth place in the 10K, which is first team All-American. And he was an All-American in the 5K. Just keeps racking up the All-American nominations. Mora, what an incredible elite career that he had. Came from Tacoma, Washington. Been at Gonzaga for five years. Here are a couple more accolades just for fun, right? Might as well knock them all out while we're talking about him. He was an All-American in 2021 in cross country. He was an Olympic trials finalist in 2021, also with cross country, four-time All-WCC cross-country first-teamer, four-time cross-country championship qualifier, three-time All-West region finisher. That was also in cross-country. He holds Gonzaga's program record in the 8K, 23 minutes, 2 seconds, in the outdoor 5K, 13 minutes and 30 seconds, and in the 10K, 27 minutes and 50 seconds for that. And really, Mora had a a significant role in helping to put Gonzaga cross-country and track and field on the map. This wasn't historically one of Gonzaga's better programs. And yet, when Mora came to campus five years ago, he helped them, he helped elevate the program in a significant way on both cross-country and track, not just because his numbers alone single-handedly helped elevate where the program ranked, although they did, but because he helped elevate the players around him. He helped Gonzaga recruit other more talented players who wanted to run with him, who wanted to run at a program that had been placing better in the rankings because of him. Like he, it's hard for a player, especially a program as big as cross country track and field. There's hundreds of athletes. Like these teams are huge. These rosters are really big. So it's really hard for one individual athlete to have that kind of impact. But Mora really did. He really has. And the story that I really wanted to tell, again, this came from the article that was written at GoZags on Gonzaga's official athletic website. I'm not sure who actually wrote the article, but I wanted to shout them out and also shout out this quote because one of the people who helped recruit James Mora to Gonzaga, one of the best recruiters in Gonzaga history, Tommy Lloyd, because why wouldn't Tommy Lloyd somehow have had some involvement in James Mora, the best track and field cross-country athlete in the school's history? Why wouldn't Tommy Lloyd have a role? This is a quote I'm just going to read directly. It's a quote from Gonzaga's head coach, Tyson, uh, Paul Tyson, and he says, quote, five years ago when James made a visit to Spokane, he was approached by Tommy Lloyd, who told him, quote, you can go anywhere, a lot of great places, but if you come to Gonzaga, you'll be the guy, Tyson said, and he became that guy. There's a lot more questions that I have about this than answers. I think it's great that Tommy Lloyd was there, whether he was there by design, whether they asked him to speak to Mora, maybe Mora wanted to talk to the basketball staff. Maybe they just happened to bump into each other in the hallway of the athletic department. I don't know the situation. Tommy seemed to know who he was based on this quote. 
seemed to know that he was the kind of player, uh, athlete who could change Gonzaga's cross-country track and field program. Why Tommy knew all of that? I have no idea. I have no idea. But I think it's cool. I think it's cool that Tommy Lloyd's still giving us gifts. <laughs> Here we are. This guy finishes as an All-American in cross-country track and field, helps turn around this program in a potentially permanent way. And it was all because of Tommy Lloyd. I know it wasn't all because of Tommy Lloyd, clearly, but he had a role. I just think that's fascinating and fun and cool. Great for Tommy to, to go help this program, to go help the Gonzaga. I mean, I mean, he was still at Gonzaga when this happened, mind you. This wasn't like, I should clarify that. He was still an assistant coach at Gonzaga when this conversation happened. But what a cool thing for, for James to have gotten to meet Tommy, to be told like, hey, you could be the guy at this program and take that to heart, come to Gonzaga and and exceed those expectations. I mean, not only was he the guy, he is on the, he's a, on the pantheon of Gonzaga legends. Like he is up there on that list. The Adam Morrison's of the world, the Courtney Vandersloot's of the world, the Drew Timmy's of the world, the Marco Gonzalez's of the world. It, James Mora is one of the best athletes, if not the best success, most successful individual student athlete in Gonzaga athletics history. There, you would be hard-pressed to find somebody with more individual accolades. Certainly comparing sport to sport is really difficult. Is what Courtney Vandersloot did for Gonzaga women's team. First student-athlete to have 2,000 points and 1,000 assists in a career ever. Sabrina Ionescu is the only other person to do that, men's or women's. Is that more noticeable, more notable? I don't know. It's really hard to compare across sports. Courtney helped put Gonzaga women's basketball on the map in a way that is they are still benefiting from. Their success is still there because of that. Did Adam Morrison do that? Kind of. Sort of. In some ways. Drew Timmy, multiple-time All-American, elite, high-level athlete, never led them to a championship, but neither did Morrison, neither did Salute, for that matter. Drew Timmy did it after Gonzaga had already established themselves as one of the premier college basketball programs in the country, in the world. So that makes it a little bit tougher. What about John Stockton? You know, Gonzaga was irrelevant for 13, 14 years after he left. Kind of hard to say that he had a huge impact in that regard. Marco Gonzalez, Jason Bay on the baseball team, you know, elite high level performers. What did they do to actually elevate the program? You know, and I'm not trying to criticize any of them. This, there's a reason they're all on this list. But Mora's right on that list as well. And he brought this program from uh, being one of the least relevant programs in the WCC to being one of the premier ones in all of in all of NCAA cross country, period. That's how good of an athlete he was. So shout out to James Mora. Ended his career. This was his final race uh, in a Gonzaga uniform. He's going to go on to do some fantastic things in the world of long distance running, I can already tell. Uh, and I think he deserves a lot of love and a lot of appreciation from Gonzaga for what he accomplished in a tremendous career in Spokane. Well, that is going to do it for me today here on the Locked On Zags podcast. More coming your way later this week. Uh, check us out on YouTube if you haven't done so yet. Go hit that subscribe button. We got a fun new graphics package for you to check out there on YouTube. Of course, you can find the podcast wherever you get your podcasts already. Thank you all for listening. Until next time, go Zags. <laughs>